When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Welcome to Behind the Scenes Episode 2. As always, I'm Jared Perkins, and I am here with Dr. Caleb Mezzi. Uh, Caleb, how are you doing today? I am good. I'm, I'm looking forward to this interview, and I'm you know looking forward to you know, chatting about some stuff that's going on in baseball. Yeah, we have an incredible interview with uh, former brewer Josh Lindblom, um, who now works in the front office with the Milwaukee Brewers. Um, just an incredible human being, and we'll really dive into his story here in a little bit. But uh, we got to talk a little bit about baseball news. We have the All-Star Game coming up. Um, what are some of your expectations for the All-Star Game? I keep seeing tweets of guys like Lindor and Wander Franco, who didn't really make it, and other guys got picked over him. Um, what, what are your thoughts on the All-Star Game rosters um, and just the, the game coming up in Seattle? Yeah, the first thing that comes to mind is the coolness of having two rookies that are not only in the All-Star Game, but like voted in as starters. I think that's a really cool thing just in terms of where yeah. the game is positioned, where it's going. Um, so that's like the first thing that jumps out. I think I always just take you know a moment to understand that the all-star game is like a part of the festivities it's not like the whole thing and for some people it may not even be their favorite thing but i like the home run derby i think the home run derby in terms of the way they're doing it the people who are participating is kind of interesting seeing a lot of the same faces but then seeing a lot of younger faces and the matchups will be of course you know entertaining in that respect i think the other thing that we always bring into fold with this is the futures game and then the MLB draft now that it's positioned to be right on Sunday, I think. Yeah. So um, those are the things that I'm looking forward to. I think this draft coming up is going to be really interesting, um, but it's all part of that one weekend or Sunday, Monday, Tuesday um, for the MLB All-Star game. Yeah. I, I love the home render. That's probably my favorite part of the home of the entire All-Star weekend. I, the, it's cool to see Julio Rodriguez there just because of Seattle. Um, I know he got added to the All-Star team too. And, Royals Twitter went off comparing Bobby Witt Jr.'s stats to Julio Rodriguez. I'm like, well, this game's not in Kansas City. So Bobby Witt Jr., even though he might have better numbers, isn't going to get selected over Julio Rodriguez. I think if like Bobby Witt had a like maybe two or three additional weeks, he probably would have been the Royals candidate over Salvador Perez. Um, but because Bobby Witt just started getting hot recently. But yes. the fact that Royals fans are like, Bobby Witt Jr. should be there over Julio Rodriguez. I mean, it's an all-star game. You're in Seattle. You're not getting Bobby there over Julio. Right. And I think that they wanted Julio in the home run derby. Yeah. Is what we saw last year. I think, you know, he's going to be that guy who 
I, I want to say stays there. You know, it looks like Vlad is also a repeat, and we obviously know Pete Alonso will be there to defend always his crown. Um, so I, I think that's kind of the, the good fit. I mean, we could debate all we want about people who should have made it and whatnot. And I know what always happens. This is the weekend, right, where we start to see people drop off, get put placed sadly on the injured list, um, just choosing to sit out. And I think we're going to see those replacements just kind of, you know, funnel through right now. Yeah. And I just in terms of the MLB draft, I think this is the first year like the top five guys have legit like 60, 65 grades um, that they could be actual legitimate major leaguers. You got like Dylan Cruz, Paul Skeens, uh, Wyatt Langford, I think Max Clark. And then there's one more that I'm missing. Um, But they're just absolutely loaded at the top of the draft. I mean, if you're the Pirates, you got to be really excited going one one here. Um, with the opportunity to get Dylan Cruz. I mean, Pirates fans are going to be real upset if they pass on Dylan Cruz because I think he's like one of the most legit bats that's ever come to the draft in a very long time. Yeah, I think a lot of people have been comparing him to Adley in terms of the yeah. uh, you know bat and then preparation going into you know pro baseball. And I think one of the things that we're seeing here is the signability factor. Mm-hmm. Um, I know they've talked about this on Just Baseball, so uh, plug right there. But I think the thing that we're going to see is that Dylan might not go to the Pirates, and it's not necessarily because he's, you know, not the best player, but it's because he doesn't want to really play there or sign there. And we've seen all these, you know, players kind of, you know, flirt with, I don't want to sign or I'm not going to sign for this unless I get over slot. And then they kind of drop, you know, he's not going to drop too far. But like you said, there's those three studs that are definitely going to go in the top five. And then you can debate, you know, where Max goes if Max enters, you know, two, three. And then, you know, then who's going to be five? Like, that's always the debate, like you were saying. Um, so I think I think it's going to be a really interesting draft. Um, I think baseball has really good momentum going into the draft. The College World Series was exactly what they wanted it to be going into a draft. So it kind of reminds me of basketball because of the March Madness and then going into that draft. So I really like where baseball is positioned right now, and I think it's cool. Yeah, I got to give Max Clark props. That social media team's got him just absolutely skyrocketing before he's even made a debut in pro level. I agree. I think he's like the he's he has the Bryce swag. Yeah, uh, he even has the eye black to prove it. But uh, he gets a lot of comparisons to him too. I know because he's he's got that explosiveness and the athleticism. Yeah. It'll be interesting to see where he goes. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, it's going to be a fun weekend. I think, like you said, it's good for baseball. It's a good way to kind of grow the game, I think. Both having the draft at the All-Star game and just being able to kind of grow that a little bit more. Um, So the other thing that you wanted to talk about here is something that is popping up in the baseball world called the Immaculate Grid. So tell us a little bit about that. Uh, I just love how you, you know, segued into that. I I think Immaculate Grid (laughs) is a really fun, entertaining game. It's similar to that Wordle. They had Wordle, yeah. then they had the baseball version. I forget what the baseball what was it called? The I can't remember. Version. But they had that. And Immaculate Grid is even better because it shows how dorky one can be and how good people's memory um, can be. But here's yeah. the challenge. So you have nine squares, right? You have three on top, three across, three down. And you only have nine guesses. I actually wish they put ten guesses for ten for nine. Like um, one mistake. Yeah, so at, least, actually... at least giving you one mistake because if you miss one, then the strategy in your head is, do I continue to go after that one missed square or do I just move on and go to the next one? So at first I was really struggling because I had no strategy and I was going all over the grid just whenever <laughs> things popped in my head. Now I just go straight line. So I'll if there's, you know, like, you know, 40 homer seasons or 300 lifetime hitter, like those kind of things, I'll tackle that first and then I'll go backwards and go through each team. 
when I do that, I feel like I'm much better. So every morning I wake up, wake up four or 5 a.m. I'm the first one to send it to my brother and my dad. We have a group chat <laughs> and I send it to them with my score. I was nine. I think I had nine for nine for like the last week or so. And I had one eight for nine because no, I had two eight for nine. I had Ricky Henderson. I got wrong. I can't remember who the other person was. Um, but my brother and my dad will send theirs. And then once they send their squares of what their score was, we send our answers. So today mm. I nailed Ron Gant right down the middle. So I was happy that I could pull Ron Gant. But for me, it's always fun to uh, to get the less than 5%. I will uh, – this would be a good segue into our guest, but I did pull a Josh Lindblom. Just knowing all the teams that he's played for, it was easy just to throw that. So I would say that yeah. not only is Immaculate Grit fun, but you listen to our podcast – and I think that you will get some <laughs> answers before the reveals actually happen. Yeah, I mean, I got one uh, the other day. It was Rays and Dodgers, and I just put Steven Souza Jr. in there, and it was like 0.2%. <laughs> exactly, <laughs> and that's the best part, is that it's going to become easy just to get the 9 for 9, but when you're getting the percentage lower than 5, like yeah. those are the real pulls right there. Yeah, I think these kind of little games are cool because it really it just like it brings back memories, right? You start thinking about guys that you haven't thought about in years. Um, and I remember I started doing it just last week and I was like, I haven't I haven't thought about these names in maybe five, ten years. And then all of a sudden they're popping up on my radar or in my mind again, um, just because I'm seeing the two different names or the like the 40 plus home run season, those kind yeah. of things. You're also getting flashbacks from trade deadline, free agency. Um, guys just being moved around. You know, the hard part when I first started was I was like, wait, does this guy have to be in their system or does he have to play? Yeah. Like, actually play. Because, like, you know, I was thinking of Adam Wainwright. Like, we mm. know that he was on a Braves farmhand, but then he was on the Cardinals. Like, those kind of things. Um, and, you know, you get a lot of wrong ones, and then you start to realize <laughs> this is what you have to kind of figure out. So what guy has been traded a lot? You know, like the Edwin Jacksons, the Octavio Dotels, Mike Morgans. Those guys have been on several teams. I'm missing so many other relievers. But yeah. Those guys have been in so Fernando Rodney. Like they've been on so many other teams that like if you start with them, sometimes, you know, when you're having, you know, a blockage, you could just fill them in and it works. Yeah. Uh, speaking of a guy that's been on several teams, that kind of goes into our guest, Josh Lindblom, um, who played all over the place um, in the minor leagues, in the KBO, uh, finally got to make uh, his major league debut with the Milwaukee Brewers. Or I don't know if he made his major league debut with the Brewers. I think he was with someone before that. The Dodgers, um, I think. Yeah, the Dodgers. Um, so this is just an incredible interview. To me, I think it's a good example of like carrying yourself as a good human being in person and not even realizing it and not knowing the impact you have on others. Because it seemed like Josh, for him, when we interviewed him, that he always like, I just did this because this is who I am. He never like went about his way because he thought, oh, I'm being a good person or I'm trying to make an impact on other lives. Like he just had an impact on other people without even knowing. And I think that's a good example of like your actions that you take every single day really can rub off on others. Yeah. I, I would just add to that. I mean, I I've gotten to know Josh over the last couple of months. And I think one of the things that resonates with me is like you said, the good person that he is, but he really soaked up being a major leaguer mm. going through the trials and tribulations that we talk about the journey that is the climb um, to the majors. And then once you get to the majors, there's another climb, right? And knowing that it's okay to go to the KBO it's okay to be a starter and a reliever. It's okay to get hurt and then think about what you're going to do next. He really soaked it all up for what it was worth. He never did what was me. He never looked at it like, you know, they're not giving me the fair share of like opportunities or, you know, starting or leaving. He just said, I got here. I'm going to take it for what it's worth. And this is, you know, a testament to who he is as a person. 
one of the things that really stood out to me, and this is not a spoiler by any means, because we've seen this on his social media, is how loved he was. Yeah. You know, by his friends, his family, his teammates all over the globe, no matter what team he was on. When he made his retirement announcement, the tweets, the Insta stories, all these kind of things that were tagging him and saying how great of a human he was. This is not the kind of guy that a fan would think, oh, he's the immaculate teammate, yeah. right? Like he's like the, the epitome of what a leader looks like. But it is clear to me in talking to Josh and then hearing um, him speak to us in this interview that he is a leader. And he's a leader by example. And he's a leader by just carrying himself with the utmost respect for himself and then for everybody else. Yeah. We've seen that he that he just touches people in, in a different way because he wants to you know have an impact when, when the game is over. And for him, he's now doing that in the front office. Yeah. I mean, I think it's incredible to hear what he's doing now to help mentor the double A AA and triple A players for the Milwaukee Brewers. Um, we don't want to ruin too much of that interview for you. So uh, let's get it right over to that interview with Josh Limloom. Well, I'm Caleb Mezzi. As always, I have Jared Perkins with me. We have a great guest, Josh Lindblom, who is going to kind of walk through his career. Um, let me set it up for him. Um, obviously, you probably heard of Josh's name. He has been in the major leagues with the Dodgers, the Phillies, the Rangers, the Athletics, the Pirates, the Brewers, and, is, and has even played in the KBO League, which I know will detail in his story. Um, but what I want to do is I want to say that Josh right now is working in player development with the Brewers. He's going to detail his journey um, through the major leagues, through the KBO league, and really what he's learned in his transition process into the front office and the other things he's doing as a dad at home. Um, we even joked about some of the stuff he's working on um, where he's unpaid as a Uber driver with his kids. So, Josh, please just introduce yourself and give us a little detail on your journey. Yeah, I mean, that was pretty good. I mean, Wikipedia is amazing, huh? Yeah. <laughs> No, it's been, you know, I played for, uh, born and raised in Lafayette, Indiana. I uh, still live here with my wife and four kids. Um, played professional baseball for 15 seasons. Um, and like you said, just in your introduction, I, I got to a point in my career where like, I didn't know if any, if everybody wanted me or nobody wanted me. And so maybe that's why there's so many different teams and countries and pit stops. Uh, but I mean, just an un unbelievable journey. Um, you know, my wife and I, this offseason, when we were talking about uh, retiring and what that next phase looks like, um, you know, I remember telling her, I was like, all I ever wanted to do growing up was play Major League Baseball. And like, as an athlete, you always hear like, oh, you don't want to have any regrets. Like, you got to do everything you can every single day to make sure that you don't have regrets. And it was like, you know, I, I did what I always wanted to do. Um you know, we don't get to control what our careers look like, but the fact that I even had a career is uh, is amazing. So, yeah, I mean, one of the things that sorry, one of the things that you and I have always talked about is you've been on several teams, but you've also met so many people, so many different teammates, so many different walks of life, different cultures. And then you had the chance to go to the KBO League, which I know you had a serious impact on those fans, those teams, mm -hmm. the players that you played with there. And one of the things I want to kind of fast forward so that we can rewind later is you recently announced your retirement. The way you did it was very, you know, classy and professional with just one statement of kind of like what you were echoing right there of how you and your wife talked about this going into retirement. Mm -hmm. But the I don't even know what to call it, but the onslaught of positivity of yeah. your message that went out, people sharing how they felt, how you made them feel, the impact you left on them, not only as a baseball player, but as a person. 
was mm-hmm. crazy. I mean, it was just, I don't, I don't even yeah. know if you expected it or knew that it was coming. <laughs> but can you talk to us about that process? And then we can go back. Um, I'm sure Jared's yeah. going to have some questions about that too. Yeah, so I didn't even want to do it. Uh, I didn't want to say anything. I've always thought it was kind of like tacky. Not tacky, but like, it's like, it's like really cheese and corny. Yeah. Yeah. Like just sail off in the sunset. Like no one's going to care. Uh, it's like, it's like, oh, I decided to retire. Let's throw up a post. Um, so yeah. So I like, I didn't want to do it. And my wife forced me. She was like, <laughs> you have to do it. Like you owe it to everybody that's been invested in your career over the, you know, since the time I was eight years old, like, you owe it to those people to thank them in some way and acknowledge that. Um, and you're right. Like the, the, the amount of support that like came back from that was amazing. And it wasn't like random fans, you know, the amount of support that was like visible on social media was amazing. But then the support that like nobody else even saw with people that had my phone number or texted me or called me or emailed me. Like, I think that like, that was, I don't know if surprising is the right word, but like, I never thought that I did anything special. Like I never, like I never thought that I treated anyone over and above beyond what they deserve to be treated. Like I didn't think that I was like going out of my way to like make sure that people felt special Um, it was just kind of like the way that I had been brought up. It was a way that coaches had instilled different values in me and priorities. And so to get that feedback on something that I didn't even think was that, that special was, you know, it it was really humbling, um, to see the amount of impact that you're able to make, um, in a, in a career. Yeah, I think the one thing that's incredible there, it's kind of a testament to who you are as a person, right? I know you said that, like, I didn't ever felt like I treated anybody that differently or that I wouldn't wait the way I would want to be treated. But I think it's just a testament to kind of the person you are. And you had that kind of impact on all those people around you as well. Um, talk about a little bit, because throughout your career, you were traded a few times. Um, you had to go play in the KBO that's a lot of transitions to happen, right? During your career. Yeah. So how did those kind of transitions help you in terms of transitioning out of baseball, yeah. like having that experience while you were playing already having to make <laughs> transitions over and over again? Yeah. Yeah. We, you know, I think as athletes, whether it's baseball, football, basketball, whatever sport it is, um, Caleb and I have talked about this before, but like the only, the only thing that you can prepare for, and the only known in sports is that your career will end one day. Hmm. Like that is the, that is the only known fact in the athletic world. And, you know, I think all of those many transitions, uh, trades, different teams, different cities, different countries, like all of those many stops were like many preparations on the way to the big transition. And so like having to adapt to different people, to different cultures, to different organizations to understand, um, you know, who I was as a person um, was important in those that, you know, performance and, you know, my athletic, my identity as an athlete wasn't primary. Um, So moving all of those prepared me for like this transition that I went, that I'm still going through um, that, you know, it's not, 
it's not a one-time event. It's a process um, over time that I, that I go through. And eventually, you know, like even in this life, there's going to be other transitions that I have to adapt to. Um, So I I think perspective is big, you know, like what there's like two responses. It's like you get traded and it's like, Oh, that organization doesn't know what they lost. I'm going to prove them wrong. (laughs) Or there's like extreme sadness because, you know, I remember like, I remember when I, when I got traded from the Dodgers, I'm on the treadmill, like doing my post game stuff. I'd gotten pulled from the game early. and I'm like in tears, like holding back tears because like, this was the team that drafted me. All of my best friends were on this team. And now like you're getting ripped from this environment that you're so comfortable in. Uh, So yeah, so it's, but all of those, since saying that, all of those made me into the person that I am today. And then also prepared me for whatever is next. Yeah, I, I think that's incredible. And I kind of want to build on the perspective piece that you talked about. Um, just talk about how making those transitions, always kind of having to be the new guy, right? In the clubhouse, mm-hmm. kind of change your sp- perspective um, when other guys come into the clubhouse are you're trying to yeah. kind of be a mentor for new guys who are kind of working their way into the locker room and then really develop those relationships with them. Yeah. I, this is this is something that I like really learned in Korea. Uh, you know, the first question in Korea and vast majority of Asian countries that's asked is how old are you? Hmm. And so like age sets the hierarchy. And um, so, but it's flip-flopped where the younger player has to like introduce and acknowledge the older player. Hmm. And so like, I would never dream when I was there, I was a little bit younger than most of the guys. I would never dream of walking into a clubhouse and not acknowledging like everybody that was older than me or like my managers. Um, So you realize like how important communication is. Like we've, we've all probably been in a situation where, um, communication isn't very good. And like, I walk by somebody and they don't acknowledge me. And like all of these alarm bells go off in my mind. And so when you think about being the new guy, like you're trying to fit in, you're in an unstable environment, you're in a new environment. And like, all we're wanting is for somebody to say hi and to connect with. And so, you know, bringing that back from Korea, um, that was really beneficial i think to building relationships with guys in the clubhouse because you're able to connect with them immediately because that's what they're longing for that's awesome i what one of the things i i mean we keep talking about perspective i think it's a good theme here but i want to keep going back and this you know will dovetail with uh kbo but not only getting traded um Mm -hmm. switching teams switching cities as you mentioned you also went from starting pitcher to reliever reliever back to starting pitcher. He's like, you had that. You had triple A to major league baseball, major league baseball to triple A, right? I'm sure there were other stints that I'm missing. You had MLB to KBO back to MLB, Mm -hmm. right? And you saw this and you were in triple A, I think this time last year, if I'm not mistaken. So like, how does your perspective shift there? And then more importantly, on my emphasis of this question is how has your identity changed from when you first came into the league to where you are right now? Yeah. Yeah, so there's um, 
there's a lot to unpack there. Uh, <laughs> but um, I think the primary thing, so I'll answer your last question first on um, the identity piece. And so from, from the time that we are um, little, little, you know, the first second that we step on a field, like we're in, there's this thought, this performance-based identity that's ingrained into us. And so it's like this never ending hamster wheel where if I perform well, coach praises me, friends praise me, parents praise me. And I know I associate good performance with praise. And then the only way to stay on that is to perform well. And so like, as long as we're better than everybody, you know, at a young age, it's like, if you're bigger than yeah, everyone, stronger, stronger. Um, but when failure starts to creep in, what happens is, is that I fail. Coach doesn't praise me. Parents might not, they might, they'll tell me they love me, but it's not the same because I'm not per performing well. And then the only way to hop back on that is to work harder and get better and perform well. And so, I mean, this is like from the time we're six, seven, eight years old that like, and the timeline on kids, like we have, I have a nine-year-old, an eight-year-old, a six-year-old, and then we, we have a two-year-old. But like, I see this timeline being moved up on kids. And I see like, like kids are not prepared to handle this type of, um, this type of stress that early in life. And, but it's ingrained from us in the time we're eight year old, eight years old. And then you just imagine by the time you're maybe 18 years old and you get drafted out, like that's a monster in the closet. And then you're 23 or 24, like big time monster under the bed and breaking that cycle is so hard as an athlete. Um, and that's why I think people coming alongside of you and recognizing like, all right, who, like, who are like the hardest question we have to answer is who are you? Like, that is the hardest question. And like, you just like, Oh, like, who are you? It's like, Oh, I play baseball. Well, no mm -hmm. time out. That's what you do. That is a function of what you do. That's a function of Josh, but Josh is not baseball player. Um, Josh is not dad. Josh is not husband. Those are all things that make, up who I am, but it's not who I am as a person. So I think understanding, and it's like, you know, failure, it stinks, but it's kind of like the best separator of that. And so like in professional baseball, there are a lot of business decisions that are made. And usually we think most of those decisions are personal. And so like, I really learned how to separate and like step back and try to look objectively at like, okay, why is this decision being made? Like maybe like 99.9% .9 of the time it has nothing to do with who I am as a person. And there's some other factor that's playing into that. And so um, the performance-based identity is so prevalent among athletes. And then this, the second piece of that is the perspective piece. Um, I got really, really good at recognizing like, I show up and I do my job and I check the box and then I'm done. Mm -hmm. And then I show up the next day and do it again. You have to like, you have to be really, really, I said objective earlier, but like you just have to be really, really adamant about like, this is a job. 
these are the things that I have to do and everything else is kind of just like superplus. Like it just doesn't, you know, just doesn't matter. One of the things I want to add to that is one of my favorite categories, which is hobbies. I always say hobbies are undefeated because yep. anytime you have a hobby, it only makes you better in terms of your mental health, kind of that delineation of this is a job and this mm -hmm. is my life. Now, I know that you have kids, so it's hard to find yeah. hobbies, but there is something that you probably have. And I know that, you know, we've talked about a few things that help you to understand that that is a job. And there's other things I want to do to keep my sanity, mm -hmm. to make me happy to find either, you know, gratitude or appreciation and something else. So can you just talk about that relationship between identity, maybe perspective and hobbies and yeah. how you incorporate them as in part of your life? Unpaid Uber driving is a great hobby. Say that again? <laughs> Unpaid Uber driving is a great hobby. <laughs> That's all it can be because um, it can't be a job. Yeah. It, you know, I remember, I remember vividly like the best thing, one of the best things that happened to me in my career was when we had our first daughter. And like you talk about like that clear delineation between, and my wife always held me to this, like it didn't matter how well I pitch, she's like, there's a poopy diaper, go get it. <laughs> like I don't care if you have seven shutout, like diapers need to be changed, <laughs> bottles need to be given, bedtimes are coming. Um, but, uh, when we had our daughter, I remember, I remember this, <clears throat> I got, I had a bad game. I got home and obviously she's a month old, but like, she didn't care. Even when she was like one, two, three, and it got really bad when our son started to understand the game when he was like four and I would show up and he'd be like, daddy, why didn't you pitch well? So like, then the lines <laughs> started to get blurred a little bit, but like when I showed up after the game, like I was dad. And so that really, really helped me be like, there's work Josh and then there's, you know, home Josh. And so that for me was probably like a key in recognizing like, hey, I need stuff like away from the field that doesn't, so that like baseball is not all consuming because it can consume guys mentally. Like you go home, a uh, guy that I had played with last year, Jonathan Davis, his wife, I don't know if you've ever seen this, his wife on Instagram, she'll like take videos of him like in grocery stores, like practicing his swing and stuff. And they're like hilarious, but like <laughs> it can consume you like anywhere. You know, he's in like, he's in the dairy section, like practicing. <laughs> <on the road. laughs> crushing um, egg. Yeah, crushing an egg. Uh, but, you know, the hobby thing, uh, I, you know, golf is one of them. Um, you know, I like to read. So reading is one of them. Uh, you know, we've talked about walking a lot, like walking helps me clear my head, but just having like something that gets your mind off of what goes on in the field. Because I mean, there, I'm there for eight hours a day and I've only got so many, so much mental energy in my battery tank. And if like, if I use all that up before I get to the field, like I'm toast, mm -hmm. I can't focus on what I need to do. Yeah, I think that's something like everyday people can learn from, right? Because you have a bad day at work, whether you're playing, if, even if you don't play baseball, if you have a bad day at work, you can't take whatever happened at the workplace home to, yeah. to your kids, to your family and things like that, because there has to be some kind of separator. Yeah. Um, I, I think that's add, you know, to add to that, like sometimes those, sometimes those hobbies, like the, it's almost like the things that we think are going to drain us actually yeah. fill us up. Yeah. yeah and the energy. Like, oh, I got to go 
play four hours of golf. Like the last, like usually uh, my tee time's at 7 a.m. I got four hours. I got 18 holes. It's like, I'm going to be drained. But you get done, you're like, man, I'm glad that I did that. Like there's so many things in my life where I'm like, oh, like I don't want to do this. But then I get yeah. done, I'm like, I'm good. I'm golden. That's a great point. I remember like years ago going through therapy and I told the therapist once that reading is the most mindful activity you can do. And he was like, what do you mean? Mm -hmm. Can you frame that differently? Because that's what therapists always say. Can you reframe things? And I said, if you're not mindful of where your attention is, you will read the same sentence over and over again. So because oh, yeah. you're mindful and paying attention, you can actually get past each sentence, paragraph, page, chapter. Mm -hmm. Like it's, it's almost like the activity does it itself in the mind yeah. on this game. I th and I think yeah. that's why sometimes you need that break. You need to be, you know, mindful where your attention's being paid right now. And that can re-energize you. Mm -hmm. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, I remember I used to read, uh, well, used to, yeah, well, used to, I don't play anymore, but I used to read before my starts because I felt like that was a good warm up for me to like have to focus on small yeah. details. I yeah. I'm, we interviewed Tyson Ross and he talked about how he would go to art museums on the off days mm -hmm. that he didn't pitch because they helped him like yeah. focus on something else. And he's like, yeah. I could go see these incredible works of art, learn about them, spend hours in a mm -hmm. museum on a road trip, go experience something new. And he was like, my brain was completely shut off from baseball. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. A hundred percent. Yeah. That stuff's so, so important. Yeah. So talk, talk to us about your role now, how you're transitioning into that, how you're helping players and doing all that stuff. And then I think Jared will yeah. probably hit us with his final great question. Yeah, I'm still trying to figure it out. No, I'm kidding. Uh, no, I <laughs> um, you know, I think in this trend, like moving in, you know, like as a player, like you want to conquer the world. It's like, well, I'm going to come in and I'm going to change all this stuff. And this is going to be different. And that's going to be different. Um, but like, I think one of the coolest things of stepping on this side is it's really cool to see how good people are at their jobs. Mm. And like all of our coaches, our front office people, like it's really awesome to see them work and then learn from that. And then also in this, um, in, in moving into this new role, uh, like because everyone is so good at their jobs, like they don't need another coach. They don't need another remote coach. And so this process has actually not been a process of figuring out what it is I need to do, but it's been a process of figuring out what I don't need to do. And it's through the elimination of those things that I'm actually able to find and carve out like how I can help. Um, but so like my role currently, like primarily focus on upper level minor leagues, so double A, triple A. Um, using my experience, uh, you know, knowledge, expertise, I guess you'd call it, uh, just to help these guys. Um, you know, you took, go back to the transitions, uh, uh, all these many transitions, guys moving from double A to triple A or triple A to double A or major leagues to triple A or triple A, you know, back. I've done that. Um, you know, how do you deal with failure? How do you deal? So kind of, I don't want to say that I'm an extension of like performance psychology because I'm not uh, trained to be, you know, a sports psychologist, but like there is an aspect of the mental side of the game um, just through the, the experience that I think has been helpful. Uh, and then there's, they had me doing some like other draft stuff. So doing some draft scouting reports on guys, 
uh, really low level, low level stuff. They don't trust me yet. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I, that's, that's things with uh, what's incredibly awesome because uh, oftentimes when people are looking for help, they just want someone to talk to who's been through something oh, similar, yeah. right? Have that chance yeah. to like have a sounding board, someone who can mm-hmm. provide some advice or just be there to listen. And they know what you've yep. been through and that. And so having you there in that role is going to be just huge for some of those yeah. guys. My thing is as a player, you like, you always feel like everybody's talking about you, mm-hmm. but nobody's ever talking to you. Yeah. And yeah. so like, obviously organizationally, like, you know, there are certain like players can't know everything, you know, like there are certain things that like players just can't know because of logistics or whatever it might be. But knowing that there are things that players can know and then helping um, helping them with that. Like I joke around, they sometimes like people are like, oh, what do you do? And I'm like, oh, well, I have all the conversations that like nobody else wants to have. Uh, <laughs> but um, yeah, no, it's been it's been great. You know, just keep continuing to build relationships with guys and connect with guys. So it's been fun. Yeah, I love that. That kind of dovetails into the last question that we always ask when you talk about connecting with guys. But um, if you have that one piece of advice, whether it's a guy trying to find his identity outside of the game mm-hmm. or just trying to make his way through professional baseball, what would that one piece of advice be? Uh, man, these questions are always hard because there's so much. And like yeah. narrowing down and pinning down like one thing is tough. <laughs> um. I think that, uh, you know, we go back to what we talked about at the beginning, you know, the, the one, the one thing you can, can prepare for is the end of your career. And just because you're thinking about the end of your career does not mean that you've given up on the current status of your career. Like, I know it's kind of like taboo to be like, oh, well, I'm going to think about my retirement and I'm 20 years old. Well, mm-hmm. like there's, you know, I'm sure Caleb's read some of the letters. I can't remember the article, uh, but, you know, there was some research that there's a, actually a link between career readiness and on-field performance. So when yeah. players, when players actually think about and plan for the end of their career, they actually were able to link that to increased performance on the field because I think what it does is it it helps with the identity piece. It helps with the preparation piece. It helps with this clear like compartmentalization of um, on-field performance and off-the-field life. And so, um, you know, starting that sooner rather than later, and it, like you don't have to have like a completely detailed plan, but like just thinking about it, like what, what set me off thinking about it was the fact that I got hit with a comebacker. It broke my tibia. And I was like, if this was a serious injury, I'm 24 years old. I don't have a college degree. Like what would I do? What would I do? Mm-hmm. I don't have that. answer, And mm-hmm. and I don't, I don't need that answer, but what I do need is like some direction. Like the, the analogy that I use with, with a lot of people is like, you don't like we're so focused in our society and our culture on like what's your destiny like what's the one thing that like you're you will discover what that thing is 
what you need. It's like, it's like when I take my kids to bowl, like I can, they can play without the bumpers. They're going to probably bowl at zero. Um, but what the bumpers do is the bumpers keep you moving forward and right. keep you within a certain like range. So, so that you don't bowl a zero, um, right. but you're always move. The ball is always move. Well, sometimes, my, sometimes my kids throw it backwards, but usually <laughs> like the ball is always moving forward and it will eventually get to its destination and planning and preparing for the end of your career. It's the, it's those bumpers. It's so you yeah. don't go off better. That's a great analogy because sometimes you'll knock over one pin. Sometimes you'll knock over three, but you want to knock mm-hmm. over 10. I think there's 10 pins in yep. bowling. And it's really but, hard to knock it's, to not knock one over with bumpers. Like, even I've by accident. Yeah, yeah. Even if you ride the bumper all the way down, you'll hit the back ones. Yeah. Um, it's, I, it's really good. And hit zero before, but <laughs> I guess that's where the analogy breaks down, right? <laughs> but you but you brought up a, a good point too in your career you know the injury that you encountered a lot of the ego and the arrogance of professional athletes not just baseball players right is mm-hmm. that won't happen to me that can't happen to yeah. me and everybody's going to have their moment like that and yeah. it's what you do in that moment that kind of sets you up yeah. for you know the success but you know we've said this we've said this on like every single podcast that there is no singular event it's this process and what the research you're talking mm-hmm. about is the, the research is in career planning. If you focus yeah. on career planning, it doesn't take away. If anything, it's a healthier relationship that you now know mm-hmm. that this is a job and you're still planning for your career for when that job is done. Yeah. Um, it's yeah. really it's back there's, to those interests, and those hobbies that we talked about. Mm-hmm. Yeah, there's no I mean, there's no other career in the world like professional sports. None. So there's like there's no comparison that you can even begin to make when the vast majority of career earnings for guys are between the ages of 20 and 30. Mm-hmm. Um, then it, then the, then it gets reset to zero. Like the vast, like if you're 30, like I'm, my resume was funny when I wrote it. It's like, I'm 35. I'm applying for jobs with like, Oh, you need 10 years of leadership experience or you need, you know, X number of years of education. And it's like, I've got like 15 teams on my resume. Like, is that <laughs> cool? Um, yeah, there, there's nothing like it. And so you can't treat the athlete like you would somebody that's moving from, you know, sales jobs or, you know, whatever, whatever it might be. Yeah. I mean, I think that's an incredible way to end on in perspective to go with uh, Josh. I, we can't thank you enough for joining and opening up and sharing your story with everybody and the listeners. Um, I'm wishing you nothing but the best uh, as you kind of figure out your role with the Brewers and uh, all yeah. those fun things. Thanks, Josh. Yeah. Thank you, guys. Appreciate it. Good talk.